This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Flanders is a highly contagious disease. It mainly affects horses and donkeys, but can affect humans. It is naturally occurring, but has also been used as a biological weapon. It is infectious and incapacitating and available, and these all make it a cause for serious concern. Early recognition and reporting are vital, so I'm glad that we have an expert at hand. Robert Norton is Director of Microbiology at Townsville Hospital in Queeland. So, Robert, you're welcome. Let's start off. Could you tell us what exactly is Glanders? So Glanders, as you mentioned, Kieran, is a highly contagious and often fatal zoonotic disease, primarily of horses, mules and donkeys, and caused by the organism Burkholderia mallei. It's characterized by ulcerating lesions of the skin and mucous membranes in animals and can be acute, latent or chronic. It's a gram-negative organism and can be misidentified as the human pathogen Burkholderia pseudomallei, which is much commoner as a human pathogen and causes melioidosis, which is endemic in northern Australia and Southeast Asia. Burkholderia mallei, as you mentioned, has been used as an agent of bioterrorism, and the last time, to my knowledge, was during the First World War. Sporadic infections of animals are still reported uh, throughout the world, but human epidemics have not been recorded. They are isolated outbreaks in the human population. The disease in humans is rare and largely due to contact with infected animals or in one particular case in of laboratory exposure. Okay, great. Thank you. And how would you recognize an affected human patient? Despite the low incidence of animal-to-human transmission, what is critical is a history of occupational exposure. This would be among veterinarians, veterinary students, anyone working with horses or donkeys. As I mentioned earlier, there's been laboratory transmission, the last one being in the USA in 1943. So clinical disease in humans can be very nonspecific and there Many forms have been described. It can be localized, which typically is characterized by foci of suppuration with abscesses which ulcerate and drain for long periods of time. But localized infections can disseminate, leading to pulmonary, septicemic, or multi tissue infection. You can also get a chronic form of the disease which leads to uh, chronic abscesses. The only sort of real human experience that's been well described was in laboratory acquired infections from Fort Detrick in USA in the 1940s. And the symptoms were fairly nonspecific, a low-grade fever, malaise, 
fatigue, headaches, and so on. So it, there are very few distinguishing features of the disease. Okay, thank you. And I wonder what tests would you request if you saw a, a patient who you suspected had the disease? The most important one would be culture of clinical material. This could be blood, pus, sputum or urine, depending on the clinical presentation. The key point, however, is that the laboratory needs to be aware that glanders is being considered as a diagnosis, largely because the identification of the organism can be problematic if the laboratory is not familiar with the organism. And in addition, as mentioned earlier, the organism can pose a biosafety risk in the standard diagnostic laboratory. Serology specific for glanders is not generally available. And while we do have serology for melioidosis, which is the most closely related human condition, it's neither sensitive nor specific. Molecular detection is not readily available and is still mainly in the research uh, realm. So to summarize, it's culture of specific clinical material. And if you have a patient who you suspect has the disease or if you've actually diagnosed a patient, I wonder what isolation measures should you take? If glanders is suspected or proven, it would be reasonable to isolate the patient in a single pressured room with personal protective equipment, gowns, gloves, masks, scrupulous hand hygiene. Transmission of the disease from human to human is quite rare largely because the disease itself is so uncommon among humans, we don't have sufficient data on that. But nevertheless, given the high mortality of this condition, most authorities would suggest strict isolation and personal protective equipment. Okay, th thank you. And what's the mainstay of treatment of glanders in, in humans? The disease itself is fairly rare, so there's very limited information on uh, randomized trials and so on. And because the majority of glanders cases occurred before antibiotic treatment was available, there are no trials. And this is in contrast to the disease that it's often likened to, which is melioidosis, for which there are numerous trials. So current recommendations that certainly the CDC in the US would suggest, and certainly we would recommend as part of the worldwide melioidosis group for glanders would be very similar in that it would be intravenous keftazidine or miropenem parenterally for about two to six weeks, followed by oral maintenance with trimetoprim sulfamethoxazole or doxycycline for between three and six months. This is identical to what we use for melioidosis, 
which we see regularly in Northern Australia. And it is assumed that this would be equally efficacious. Okay, thank you. And, and I guess as well as treating, you would need to report the disease to the relevant authorities. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. It's a notifiable disease, certainly in Australia, and I, I suspect in the United Kingdom and the local public health authorities should be notified as soon as it is suspected or proven. The real issue, of course, is its use as an agent of bioterrorism. So finding a case would raise the possibility that this was a case of bioterrorism, given its rarity in the current era. Okay, thank you. And I guess that there must be differentials that you might suspect also. What are the common differentials and how can you tell them apart? The major differentials really would be infection with other organisms that can cause septicemic pneumonia or abscesses. And this would include, and these would be gram-negatives, these would include uh, Klebsiella pneumoniae and, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Burkholderia pseudomaliae, the agent of melioidosis. So really, it highlights the importance of early culture and recognition of the organism if isolated. It can be difficult in the laboratory to distinguish between pseudomaliae and maliae. And I think this is probably the most important point. And are there any other common pitfalls in the diagnosis and or management of glanders, would you say? The commonest pitfall would be not thinking of this rare condition, not taking a detailed history of animal contact, and failure of the laboratory to correctly identify the organism. So should there be any doubt, the organism itself should be referred to a central reference laboratory which would have expertise. Okay, thank you. And, and apart from the questions that I've asked you, are there any other questions that people typically have about glanders, um, be they doctors or patients? I guess people want to know, can they pass it on to their family and friends? And the answer would be that, unfortunately, that information's not really available apart from historical cases. So we assume that it can be spread by the respiratory tract. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, the evidence for that is lacking. So it is possible that it could be passed on and hence its value as a bioterrorism agent, unfortunately. And the other thing people may be interested in is that there is quite a bit of research looking into the development of a vaccine for glanders. Okay, thank you. And back to clinical features. It's called glanders. I'm tempted 
to believe that that's because it can affect the glands, the lymph node. Is, is that correct? Very good, good question. I'm not sure where the name glanders comes from. It's been known for centuries, and certainly Hippocrates knew about it. I suspect it was called glanders because there'd be significant lymphadenopathy, but then, as you probably realize, a lot of diseases will cause lymphadenopathy. So I presume it was called that because the lymphadenopathy would occur in horses or donkeys, which I suppose, not being a veterinarian, may not be that obvious in other diseases. Purely conjecture on my part. Okay, thank you. And back to humans again, and last question. I wonder if you had one single piece of advice to give to a healthcare professional about the disease. I wonder what would it be? Yes, it would be to be aware of this organism, unfortunately, as an agent of bioterrorism, and to notify public health appropriately if suspected or proven. Okay, thank you very much, Robert. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognize, report, and refer affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning, and look at the content on this and other series, Infectious Diseases. Thank you once again. if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.